We are back, folks, on another Michigan Basketball Insider Podcast. Sam Webb here with Tim McCormick. And, Tim, hard to believe. What is this? I mean, we've been doing this for four months now. Amazing that uh, it feels like just yesterday we started. Now it is time to talk about Big Ten Tournament. We are already into the postseason, my friend. Time has just flown by. Yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun, a fun journey for, for for me, you know, learning how to do this and working with you and developing a friendship. And it's been great. And I am I'm optimistic for the team. You really want to be playing your best ball heading into the postseason. And I, I don't think we can say that about Michigan right now. Um, it's so important to have momentum and confidence and, you know, be tight with your defense and your rotations and. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that, that they finished losing three of their last four, especially now that the team's healthy. Um, but, but I still have optimism because I believe that they're capable of more. And I think there's a real advantage going in and being a little bit angry, a little bit upset. Um, you know, we, we know their issues, but they are correctable. Yeah, I the the thing that has been so surprising uh, to to me is you know the way that they've lost these games on the defensive end of the floor. A, a lot of it has been due to what was a strength becoming a weakness, at least of late. At least as of late. But let's uh, tackle these games one at a time, and let's start off first with the win during the week. The win on on senior night. Uh, they came out. I won't say they were they were lethargic, but they weren't quite as uh, dare I say dialed in, uh, Tim. But you know they were a a squad that came out very spirited in the second half. I heard I heard their their captain. <laughs> I heard X gave the team a little what for at halftime, and they certainly responded coming out of the break against Nebraska. Yes, and and player led teams are always the best. And, and I, I walked away with a couple of simple observations about the Nebraska game. Uh, the first one is Nebraska is horrible. <laughs> and it's going to be several years before they, they will be competitive. And right. it's, it's, um, it, it, it's a tough journey, but I do think Lincoln's a great city. They've got a beautiful arena and, do- and adoring fans. So um, I do think he's the right guy, but they, that is a bad Big Ten team. Um, what, one of our favorite topics this year has been John Teske in the post. Mm-hmm. And I learned something I'm really excited to share. Now, what is the term I've used throughout the year to describe how John Teske is in the low post? He's an angle scorer. Angle score. Yes, yes. And, and so I want to take it one step further because I learned something. Which is his best jump hook right now, the right or the left? I would say they're right, but if you ask me the question, it sounds like it must be the left. Yeah, because in Nebraska, he knocked down a couple of those left-handed jump hooks, which I think is really impressive. And the reason he's able to do that is because they're taking away his left shoulder and his right jump hook. And John Teske needs a clear angle when he shoots. And on those left-handed baseline jump hooks, he can see the rim. He's got he's got free access going left. And so that may be his his most effective shot right now in the low post. And so this has never happened in the history of the world that that I'm going to compare John Teske to Akeem Olajuwon. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll never happen again. <laughs> yeah. That, that, so so when, when I I learned something really valuable from from dream. And when we were teammates in Houston, whenever you, if you go back and do a study of his dream shake, where he would take a couple dribbles toward the middle, and then he would, he would shimmy with his shoulder. He'd drop his right shoulder. He'd look a little bit back towards his right shoulder to freeze the defense. But really what it was doing, it was allowing him to reset and to gain balance and freeze the defense. And he did it over and over again. And John Teske did that on his second post move where he took two dribbles into the middle. He went back towards the opposite block, and then he came back with the jump hook, and it was beautiful. He didn't get his base knocked off. 
he he was so confident in that move. And if I had 10 minutes in the gym with John Teske right now, I would show him that move. I would reinforce that he can do this over and over. And I think that would be a huge key for the rest of the season. So if John Teske is listening to this podcast, which he probably is not, I would encourage him to look at an old play from Akeem Olajuwon and then look at his second post move against Nebraska. Yeah, something that he could carry with him moving forward. Now, you know, important to note, as you did at the beginning, Nebraska is horrible. And one of the reasons why they're horrible uh, is because they, I mean, they're they're porous defensively everywhere, but they don't have a lot of size on the interior. So, you know, a, a t- to me, what I take from that is I don't care who you develop uh, a start to develop a good habit against, you're developing a good habit. And that's what I, you know, again, this was one of the things as I talked about uh, John Teske getting some things done in the post against Nebraska. I immediately got some pushback said, ah, it's against Nebraska. He's doing it. Well, I said, look, I'm, I've been one of the main ones here of late saying, ah, I just don't know that that's sound offensive strategy for them. But if he can get a good taste in his mouth where it could be something that he that he goes to every now and then, great. I don't care if it's against Nebraska. This sounds like, at least listening to you, Tim, something that he can replicate against teams that are more formidable in the post as well. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really a, a relevant fact. Um, and I know that I could not shoot a jump shot over Patrick Ewing and Manute Bull or Mark Eaton, but I could shoot a jump hook. And by establishing that dream shake, it didn't look the same. It didn't feel the same but it's highly effective, and I've got homework, Sam, because I want you to look up Akeem Olajuwon Dream Shake. Okay. And and I think you will totally see what I, I'm talking about. I'm teaching you some post moves. I don't know if you'll ever get a chance to use them, <laughs> Sam, <laughs> but but you know, next time you get into an IM game or a rec league game or at the YMC, I want you to go into the low post, look look up Olajuwon's Dream Shake, and then try it. All right? and get, get, and give it a shot, eh? I hear you, too. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, so, so here's – I've already named my three observations that Nebraska's horrible. Teske's best go-to to get that angle is his left, and he should look at the dream shake. Number four, we, we've called Isaiah Livers Michigan's best player all year. I just want to throw this out. Recently, Franz Wagner has been absolutely. Michigan's best player. Absolutely. Okay? Just want to be clear with that. And then the last one, number five, shooting's a problem. And, and I get concerned when I see players that are wide open, feet set, perfect pass, no rush, and the shot is not even close. You know, an air ball, um, you know, really short. It just it, it concerns me and makes me think that maybe some of these guys that we have confidence in just aren't that good at shooting the basketball. Something they can correct in the offseason, but, but maybe our expectations – are a little bit off. And and I also think that it's worth noting, when you're watching a shooter, really good shooters, they, they miss a little bit long or a little bit short. Very seldom do you see guys miss left and right. And in the Big Ten tournament, if guys are missing left and right, it's a function of the pre-shot mechanics and also some form issues that need to be addressed at some point. So that's my five from Nebraska. I'm done. I'll quit preaching. Yeah, no, no. It was, it was great stuff. And uh, you, you mentioned player-led teams. Uh, you know, your senior leadership on the floor, uh, you know, I think throughout the season, when you're without your best player in Isaiah Livers, how do you, how do you maintain uh, composure? How do you maintain uh, resilience? I think you draw from your vets. And the vets did a good job in that regard this this year. And I thought in this game, I, I, I never felt like they're in danger of of losing to to Nebraska. But it could have been a game that they slogged through. Uh, and, again, talking to some of the guys on the team, around the team after the game, I guess, you know, X was a bit upset at halftime, let his team know that there's a way that we need to go out, even against this team, and play. And they responded in the second half. He finished the game 11 points and 10 assists, and uh, you know the you know some some praise from the crowd. Isaiah, you know uh, uh, John Teske, as you mentioned, showed some some good post moves. 12 points 
uh, in the game and, and five boards. And it was really good to see John Beeline be in the stands to watch those guys kind of take their take their bows as Michigan Wolverines in their final game at Chrysler. Yeah, and I like the fact that you and I broke the story, right? We, we kind of <laughs> speculated last week that John Beeline was spotted in Ann Arbor, and, and I think it would be a really nice gesture for him to send out um, a, a couple of guys I know that are very special. And, and it's important that we acknowledge John Teske and Xavier Simpson. With that being said, uh, really good Michigan men. I want to pay tribute to them. They, they provided great highlights the last four years. Um, you know, they'll, they'll leave with 110 wins, most likely. Three Sweet, sweet 16s, um, a Final Four. I've loved watching them play, and I must say that I was at their first Michigan practice ever. And, and I like going early every year and just kind of watching the freshmen and get a read on who they are and what they could become. And I remember thinking, all right, Coach Beeline, you've done a lot of great work. What in the world were you thinking with these guys? You know, X was small, and he couldn't shoot. That's a bad combination. And John Teske did not look athletic enough to play in the Big Ten at all. He looked timid, and he was unsure of himself. And I look back, and I think that they have done a masterful job at maximizing their potential and I both think that both of them have some big games left in them. Yeah, hopefully uh, in the uh, in, in the Big Ten tournament and beyond. Uh, there's a big game in College Park down in Maryland uh, against the squad on on their senior day for Anthony Cowan, and a, a game where they were playing for a share of the Big Ten regular season crown. This is after you know they had they were up by a few games, only three losses in league play, so they had been on a bit of a swoon. Uh, and it all boiled down to that matchup with Michigan. Uh, and and Anthony Cowan, give him credit, Tim. Uh, he came out, uh, and the emotion of the game wasn't too much for him. Uh, he was effective outside. He was definitely effective getting to the rim, creating for himself and for others. And every time Michigan made a run in, at them at that in that game, they always had the response and wound up winning that by double figures. I didn't expect Michigan to win that game. Um, but I thought the defense would be a lot better. I, I expected Maryland to score around 70 points, and I was way off. They had 83. Um, I also, I, I, I'm a big fan of Anthony Cowan, and he reminds me of Mello Trimble, and this is why. Um, at the end of Mello Trimble's career, I thought, I am so done watching this guy tear up Michigan. Let, let's let him move on. I hope he plays in the NBA, but I don't want him at Maryland anymore. And, and, and boy, he, he, um, he really, he really is a poised player. He can control the tempo. He can beat you with his scoring and his playmaking. Um, just a, a really poised player. And I've, I've enjoyed watching him play a great deal. Yeah, it was, uh, it was tough to keep him out of the lane. Tough to keep him from getting to the basket. Uh, they, the, the, you know, the commentators kept talking about the matchup between he and, and, and X and that, that was a matchup that didn't really materialize as much as maybe we saw it in the past. Michigan really went with a lot of uh, Eli Brooks on them. Uh, but, you know, by and large, Tim, the ability, his ability to get to the rack, break down the defense was was too much for Michigan to contain. And then at the same time, a lot of layups for Maryland in this game. But the other side of it is, you know, another game where they shot a good percentage from from three-point range. 40% to be exact for for Maryland and in the in the losses here of late that's where those teams have been you know at or above 40% uh in in three point shooting it's one more time where the Wolverines their perimeter defense broke down it was it was a a, a really unsettling thing to see just as you begin your postseason and and I believe that scouting reports get so deep in March and Michigan right now is predictable in conference play. Um, I do think when they get into the NCAA that they'll they'll get a little bit more flow and, and rhythm like we saw in the Bahamas. Um, but when I talk about tendencies, on the defensive end, there's been some slippage for Michigan in their pick-and-roll coverage. And, and just flashback, Anthony Cowan was Cassius Winston. And, and I thought defensively, 
drop coverage might have been a better idea. Mm-hmm. I, I know he's good. He's a good mid-range player. But I just had flashbacks of John Teske and Austin Davis sprinting back, trying to find Jalen Smith or the big guys in the paint. It, it's a lot to ask. And especially now, opponents have tired legs. I just don't, I don't know if, if you know, you can really rely on them beating you with jump shots. So from an inside-out perspective, I would have loved to see John Teske just waiting in the paint, contesting mid-range shots. He would rebound better. And the problem is that, that by spreading out the defense, Maryland got so many layups that, that it really got Michigan scrambling. And when you start making layups, you get into the feel-good zone. And those three-point shots, they start falling a lot better. Conversely, Sam, Teske and Davis had no room at all in the paint. Why? Maryland had no fear of Michigan shooters at all. They dug down really deep. They clogged the lane. There were no driving angles for Simpson. And throughout the game, they just said, look, we know you're not going to make threes. We've been watching you all year. Go ahead and shoot those. And if you beat us on the road in a, in a situation like this, more power to you. It just didn't happen. And with 10 minutes to go, Michigan was right there. They missed 11 of 12 shots. A lot of them were really good shots. That, that's it, it was a it was a real a real good game plan by Maryland. Yeah, you, you just hope. I don't hope it's not a plan. You just hope Isaiah Livers finds his form again. Uh, you know, 0 for 5 from three point range. You know, he's a better shooter than that. They got 0 for 3 from Eli Brooks. Were it not for Dave DeJulius in this game, uh, you know, Michigan is probably out of it. You know, way before you know, the final moments of the game. But Dave DeJulius gave them a huge spark. Uh, you know, their best offensive player in that game. Uh, you know, he he was hunting, uh, you know, getting to the rim. He was hitting his threes. He was three for six from three-point range, getting to the free throw line. Just an all-around game at, a, you know, at an ideal time, in my opinion. We hadn't really seen Dave be that be that microwave here lately like we saw him be in the first half of the season, first half of conference play. Uh, but for him to have his career high and have that kind of success on the road, uh, you know, against Maryland, I think, as they head into big, the Big Ten tournament, uh, hopefully that's some momentum he can carry over into uh, into tournament play. I would love to have him just rewatch that game and where he got his shots and how he didn't hesitate at all. Too often this year, it seems like Dave is – is thinking, okay, is this a shot I'm supposed to be taking? And and as a as a bench spark, just go out and shoot it. Just go and shoot and play. I never get frustrated with him um, for taking a bad shot. I get frustrated when he passes up a shot. Mm-hmm. Now I won't. I, I'm only mentioning this as a you know as a sidebar, not as a reason Michigan lost the game. But it gets back to your point about Franz Wagner being Michigan's best offensive player here lately. And when you take him out of the game with his second foul, with, with and a foul that in retrospect, it's a bad call. Yeah, it was a bad call. And the ref he comes down and he says to to Juwan, "Oh, that that was a bad call. That my bad. That wasn't a foul." I was like, "Oh man, you got to be kidding!" And so he, he winds up sitting the last twelve minutes <laughs> of the half. Now, do you do you gamble in that situation if the ref owes you one? And say, all right, you know, he he knows he made a bad call. He isn't going to give Franz his third, or do you do you just ride it out with Franz on the bench and 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 hope that you're within striking distance? Obviously, they were down 13 at at the break, uh, but I was wondering what you thought of the decision to sit him with sec- with two fouls for the rest of the half. Uh, so so I typically don't blame officials, and I'm not in this case. It was a bad call, but. Um, I don't think Michigan's going to win that game. I think that Maryland had a whole nother gear for whatever Michigan had. Um, little plays make a huge difference. And as an example, uh, Michigan's down seven, five minutes to go. Maryland steps at the foul line, misses two free throws. You've got a chance to cut that lead and really put the pressure on. And then Maryland players and fans are going to say, oh, no, here we go again. Instead, we, we lose out on a very easy rebound. They out-hustled us, and then all of a sudden they get an open three, and it was a backbreaker. Mm-hmm. Th- those were the kind of plays that I think 
that we were going to face because we just we were not solid on defense and the basketball gods love defense and when you play good defense you get breaks you get a swagger you grab loose balls I, I don't I don't I don't think if Franz Wagner you know played an extra six minutes in the first half I don't think that would have been enough gotcha all right Tim uh, you know one of the one of the great things. Uh, to to really see for me is as I watch the the bench dynamic develop, uh, you you know Phil Martelli is a is a huge shoulder to lean on, but I've really noticed as the season progressed, you know, has progressed, uh, you know, Jawan really leaning a lot on Sadi Washington as well. His input seems to, you know, to to really be tangible in game, uh, and a guy that has been through the league has seen these teams, these coaches, and has maybe a, a stronger sense of, of tendencies. Uh, you know, words you mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, uh, it's been really, really, really good to see that that bench chemistry uh, between coach and assistant develop between he and Jawan. Yeah, I, I, um, I think that, that Michigan has a really good coaching staff, and the players like them, and, and – it's um it's one of those things that it's like like a, a superstar player they get all the credit but but they're usually surrounded by guys that that help them out that play good support roles and that's why that's why Michigan has had a very successful year is that Juwan has wisely surrounded himself with people that complement his skill set and and that's um that's an that's an underrated skill for sure yeah absolutely been knowing Sadi for years from Romulus. Uh, to over at uh, to over at Oakland now, obviously for years here at the University of Michigan, and coaching for Jawan Howard. Here is Tim McCormick with Sadi Washington. So pleased to have a very important friend of mine, a great player at Western Michigan, actually an all-time great for the Broncos. Uh, grew up in Lansing, went to Sexton High School, Oakland University associate head coach. And at Michigan, is this the fourth year, Sadi? This is the fourth year. It's gone by, but it's been awesome and wouldn't trade the Michigan experience for anything. I really appreciate you joining me, and I'm excited for this conversation. And and I can tell that you're loving this season, playing for Juwan. Your team is outstanding. You've got great guys. And so how's this year going for you? It's going awesome. You know, I, I think, you know, obviously – um, getting out the gate really strong uh, in our non-conference schedule helped. You know, I think Coach Jawan really kind of set the tone of what this thing can really look like. Um, and it's just been incredible to watch our players grow and develop uh, throughout the course of the season. And, you know, we still have a lot of season left, a lot more growing to do. But I'm excited to see, you know, how this thing finishes up as we head the home stretch. So I, I definitely want to get into Juwan, but I also want to hear your perspective on what, what did you learn from John Beeline? I, that must have been a fascinating process. Yeah, I think Coach B is like the master CEO, you know, in the way that he approaches his day-to-day organization um, of how he, you know, sets practices and everything is a build up to the next thing. And so, um, you know, he was always extremely uh, organized in terms of everyone knew exactly what was going on and what their role was in making whatever we needed for that day or for that season to happen. And so I think he really did a good job of defining roles for the staff uh, so that it made it a little bit easier for us to carry out those roles and to get that information to our players. I know you've got a, a great story that nobody knows about John Beeline, about his his passion, about the number of hours he worked, what, you know, watching video. What, what is something about John Beeline that, that nobody knows? Man, this dude, you know, like we always tease Coach all the time because he was like a morning guy. He was a morning planner. So um, by the time we got to the afternoon – and was ready to talk about the practice for the day. Practice had probably had probably been rewritten at least four times before we got to a final draft. And when you think about, like, Coach, you've been doing this for over 40 years. Like, you can put the 
together a practice plan, you know, in your sleep. But uh, to, to watch him kind of meticulously go through that process every day uh, was amazing. And I think it hopefully will help me, you know, as I uh, look for opportunities, you know, sometime in the future. So, Sadi, take, take me back to this summer. That, that must have been just a heck of an experience when all of a sudden you find out Coach Beeline is gone and Luke ended up leaving. And, and so you, you were kind of the, you know, the new CEO of this program for a while. Um, you love Ann Arbor. Your family's here. You, you, you know, you, what, what was that like? Well, I mean, the, the, the first reaction was unsettling, you know, because it wasn't really defined – you know, it was about a week, week and a half period where I didn't know if I was going to have a job, you know, uh, whether it was in Ann Arbor or whether it was someplace else because it was so late in the college basketball hiring season for us that, um, you know, it was like, man, am I going to be able to stay here? Am I going to be able to get on, you know, at a comparable level somewhere else in the, uh, throughout the country? So that was a little bit unsettling, but then once Coach Juwan got here and, you know, confirmed that I would be, you know, carrying over and joining his staff, then that it turned into relief. Um, and then it was uh, like, all right, let's hit the ground running. And for me, it, it I felt fortunate because um, at my previous stops at Oakland and at Michigan the first time, um, I had, was walking into programs that were already preexisting and running. So I really never saw – what it would mean to start up a new program. And so fortunately for us, all of our players stayed in place, so we didn't have to, like, overhaul a roster. But to be able to go through that process with Coach Juwan and the rest of our staff of how you got to reconnect with the current players and parents and then redefine your new recruiting path. Um, and so it, it was a great process for me. And – you know, I'm just still fortunate the, to Juwan that I was able to stick around and, you know, help him carry out his new vision for Michigan. I love Franz Wagner and his game. If it wasn't for you, he wouldn't be here. Take us through that because you're you're the one that he had a, a visit scheduled, right? T talk to us about what that experience was like and what happened. No, I mean, you know, I don't. I'm not going to take all the credit for sure, but you know, the day that everything happened was the day that Franz and his family were coming on their visit. And so, you know, we really had to make a quick decision here as a staff uh, between myself, uh, Coach Dre Haynes, and Yacht at the time um, was like, all right, how are we going to handle this process? How are we going to save this visit? Because, you know, again, you don't, we, none of us knew what our current status was, but you know, like for the for the for the sake of Michigan, this dude has to have a great visit for us to even have a chance to get him. And so, you know, it, fortunately, Mo was in town that weekend for the Chad Tuff event, um, and then also he wanted to be around for for Franz's visit. So we really treated it like a family reunion. And I think, you know, before before Franz got off the plane, he was probably ninety percent to 10 to go back and play in Germany. And I think, you know, once he left, he was 60-40 to stay in Germany. But we count we counted that as a win because now it was like, all right, let's see who's going to take over. And then, you know, Juwan did an unbelievable job connecting with the family and, and with uh, Franz and, and, and laying out the vision. And, um, you know, we're fortunate to have Franz uh, being a part of this program. Juwan Howard, as a coach, what's he like? What have you learned? What's some messages that you've taken? What What is Juwan like to work for? Man, you know, I, 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 I sometimes laugh because, like, you know, if and when it ever happens for myself to have a, a, a program, um, I could see myself rehashing a lot of the things that he says and the way that he goes about his business. I see a lot of myself in Coach Jawan, you know, I really look at him as a big brother, a mentor, and, um, you know, I, I really just appreciate the way that he, like, he's just a connector of people, you know, and I think that um, when you can get people 
when you can build the right relationships and people trust you, especially from a player's perspective, you're going to go all out for that coach. And so I, I really just watched him from close and from a distance of how he's really connected with our 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 players, with our staff, and how all that has translated into our success this year. Xavier and Teske, the winningest players in Michigan basketball history, and you, you've been there for the ride. What, what do those guys mean to you? What, what separates them? Yeah, you know, we all walked in the door together. You know, it was my first season, their freshman year, and, um, you know, it, it's just one of those things, you know, when you look back four years from ago, and you know because you've been a part of this program, there have been some great players that come through this through the legacy and the history of this program. And, you know, it's just awesome for those to to have separated themselves and now standing alone as the all-time wingiest Wolverines in program history. And I think it's just been their daily commitment uh, to getting better every day. I think that's whether it was playing for Coach Beeline or whether it's playing for Coach Jawan, the message has stayed the same. Trust the process. Trust in the player development, trust in the system, and good things will happen for you. And those two embody that to the fullest. I am. I've really enjoyed watching the development of Austin Davis. And Teske's had such a good career. And even against Rutgers to see Colin Castleton be ready. Juwan gets a lot of credit for that, but you laid the foundation because for the first three years, you worked with the big guys. Um, you know, Can you talk a little bit about what those guys have done with their post skills and then some of the things that, that, um, that, that you're doing now working with perimeter players? Yeah, so I, I, I know that um, you know, those guys have shown a great commitment to just trusting the process of getting better from from footwork to, you know, their go-to moves in the post. And, um, you know, they just stayed the course. And then now with Coach Jawan, I know Austin is loving it because now he's playing for a coach who um, puts more emphasis on, um, you know, getting post touches. And that's not a swipe against, you know, Coach Beeline. It was just a different philosophy. Um, but I think it has definitely resurrected – Austin's career here because you know the physicality of the game definitely caters to his style of play and I mean you know from watching this league uh, you know all the years this is probably the best collection of post players in the Big Ten uh, from one team to the next that we've seen in a long time and so you know to have a trio of guys that can at any given moment, you can call their name and they can give you something down there on both sides of the ball has been very beneficial for us. Saadi, the, the NCAA tournament's coming up. You got the Big Ten tournament, home stretch of the regular season as well. What's one area that you'd love to see your team tighten up uh, to improve to get ready for the postseason? You know, I, I, I think just everything in total, our health. How about that? You know, like. That's one thing that, you know, when you reflect and look back on the course of our season, you know, we haven't had a string of games where we've just been healthy. Uh, Franz was out the first four or five games of the season with his wrist, and then we had the period with Zay, you know, kind of back and uh, out and then back and then out and then back again. And so if we can just be healthy, I'll be happy. I think all of us will be happy because I think now we're, we're getting back to our defensive uh, uh, identity. Um, I think that we're shooting the ball, you know, again, at the level that we saw uh, similar to at the, at the beginning of the year. And, um, you know, I, I, I do believe with having trying to manage the roster with, with Isaiah being out, guys like Brandon Johns was able to grow up tremendously throughout the year. Uh, Dave DeJulius grew up tremendously throughout the year. And so I think those um, uh, things will help us in the long run as we make this final push. All right. One word, maybe two words on the following guys. Tell me about John Teske. One word. One word. Or two or something. Nasty. That's what we need from him down the stretch, to be more nasty. What about Isaiah Livers? What's he like? Mr. Consistency. That's what Zay uh, has been throughout his career here at Michigan, and uh, even more so moving down the stretch. We need him to be 
as consistent or more consistent on both ends of the ball. Eli Brooks. Coach calls him the professor, but uh, Eli, Eli is like, Eli is like, he's like the therapist. I mean, like he just, I, he's like the therapist of the team, you know, like he just, he just gets it. He just gets it. And um, he's one of those high IQ kids, man, that just, you know, he just gets it. Xavier. A pit bull. I mean, he's he's the leader. He's the undeniable leader of the team. He's the he's the what do they say? He's the straw that stirs the drink. That's who X is. Last one, Franz, Boogie. That's his nickname. We call him Boogie. And so, what does that mean? Man, you know, it's it's just is he's just he's got that flair. He's got that Wagner flair. You know, people love him. He plays with passion. Um, you know, he's not afraid of the moment. And it's it's rare when you have uh, a freshman, you know, who can just come in and impact games, um, you know, on both sides of the ball. And we've and we've at least since I've been here, and probably for a long time, there's been a, a, at least one freshman every year who's kind of had that charisma about him that, you know, he's able to step up to the plate. And so we need we need Franz to be Mr. Boogie. Final question: What is it about the University of Michigan that's special to you? It's the leaders and the best, you know, as, as we always say, Michigan is excellent in being excellent. And so, you know, all things uh, that, that breed success, that's what Michigan is. Thanks a lot, Sadi. Thank you. Go Blue. We're back, folks, here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. Sam Webb and Tim McCormick. And, and Tim, uh, you, you, uh, a guy that, re- you know, was responsible for rec- recruiting a lot of these players and, like I said, has been through the the rigors of of Big Ten conference play, uh, and you know you can really sense, you can really feel his presence, his impact on this team this year. Yeah, and Saudi Washington has become a, a valued and trusted friend of mine. And I first met him back um, Western Michigan when he was one of the best players in their school's history, and we became really close when he was at Oakland. I spent a lot of time at Greg Campy's practices and, and got to know Saudi. And 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 also we, we've talked about the development of Austin Davis and John Teske over the course of their career. Um, a little known fact is that Saudi worked with the big men throughout yeah. you know the, all of those years. So he gets a lot of credit for that. What a versatile coach. He just seamlessly all of a sudden is working with the wing players. And mm-hmm. that's that that that's a great value. And I I've thought all along that that Saudi will get an opportunity to be a head coach very, very soon. And I bet he doesn't leave. I, I think he loves Ann Arbor. Um, his, his daughter is an elite gymnast, his son, a, a, you know, an evolving basketball player. I think that he loves where he's at so much that, that he's going to continue to wait. But if he wanted to be a head coach, he could have a really good job next year. Yeah, I think I think you're you're right about that. I think he he is in a position where he'll he'll wait for the right job. He won't just jump at the first job. So you know there there are some there are a lot of programs out there that I think are going to come open. Uh, but with the way things are rolling here at Michigan, how comfortable he is, and the dues he's paid. I mean, uh, you know, another little known fact. You know, Sadi was up for. He interviewed for the Michigan assistant job when the first time around when John Beeline, when he hired when he hired Val Jordan and Bakari Alexander, uh, and at the time he didn't get a role because he hadn't he didn't have any experience coaching bigs, uh, mm-hmm. and Beeline told him that, and so what does he do? He goes and and broadens his his coaching resume by by learning the post game and learning to coach bigs. And so the next time that opportunity came around and John Beeline spoke to him, uh, that was not an issue. He he had coached bigs too and he ultimately got the job. Yeah, he's um he's a good man, very knowledgeable, uh, great recruiter. He he brings a certain amount of of poise. He's very he's very comfortable with who he is. And, and uh, Michigan's been so lucky to have him. Right. Well, they are definitely uh, lucky to have him as they enter this this tournament field. Now, all the, the entire coaching staff has familiarity with the uh, with the Big Ten now, but it's a great asset to have 
uh, you know, a coach on your roster, a coach on your bench that has been through the rigors of, of this tournament, a tournament that Michigan has has won a, a few times. Good to see. And they started out, Tim, facing a squad they've beaten twice already this season. Uh, you know, a team, they say, they always say it's tough to beat a team uh, three times in a row. Uh, but this this is a matchup I like. I know Rutgers is physical. They're tough defensively. Uh, you know, they they are long and athletic, but they aren't a great shooting team, Tim. Uh, and that that for Michigan, I think, especially with where things have been porous, uh, most porous here lately uh, defensively, I think that's a good thing for Michigan to be facing in the in the first game of the Big Ten tournament. Exactly. You nailed it, Sam. Good job. The The key for Michigan, why they've beaten Rutgers twice, and we talked about it against Michigan State and against Maryland, Michigan really struggles when you've got Teske covering at 30 feet from the basket. Against Rutgers, they I promise they will play drop coverage. He'll be in the paint. There will not be any layups. Michigan has a really good matchup. You know, Geo Baker is is going to have to get to the rim, and I can see Michigan going underneath screens, encouraging him to shoot threes, but not letting him play downhill. Um, in that position, Michigan rebounds so much better. I really like the matchup in the 8-9 game, which doesn't sound great, but we, we beat them at Madison Square Garden. We beat them at the rack. I, I, I And I, I know that we beat them without you know Isaiah Livers playing. Right, so, both times. So, yeah, so I, I feel really good about that matchup. And to take it one step further, I absolutely love the fact that they get to play Wisconsin again. You know, in, in the 8-9 game, you've got to play the number one seed. That's not good. I am elated that Michigan State and Maryland are at the other side of the bracket. You could put Ohio State there, too, because I think those are the, two, the three hardest teams for Michigan to match up with. I love the fact that that you're at the opposite end. Okay, so sell that one to me, Tim. Why why you like – now, I, I, I agree with the part about the bottom half of the bracket being the toughest, but why do you think or Wisconsin is a more favorable matchup than Michigan State, Maryland, and Ohio State? Multiple reasons. First of all, Trice is not going to go off like he did if Eli Brooks is playing. I think that he had his career game. It was a close game, and and Eli Brooks will do a much better job. I also think the swing offense, it's an acquired taste from a scouting standpoint. You, you When you first see it, you, you don't really understand the tendencies and how to cover it well enough. I think that Juwan and his staff, and you could put Phil Martelli on that list too. He's not seen it. I think that they will make a lot of adjustments and, and, and cover it much better. Um, and then also... Potter and Reavers are really good players. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if we see Michigan play a smaller lineup. Um, and and I, I would like to see Brandon Johns get an expanded role. I think that the, the last game we went with a big lineup and Johns and Teske and Austin Davis were in an, the uncomfortable position where they had to cover quicker guys than them. And that's when the, the swing offense can really work. As a matter of fact, I would have, I would love to see Brandon Johns play center, mm-hmm. and, and I think you and will. I think that I think that would be a really effective way to cover them. Now it hurts your depth a little bit because you know Michigan's best subs are big men, but I, I do think that that Michigan will beat Wisconsin. No, I, I think you I think you hit upon uh, a likely strategy uh, because of the you know the athleticism that Brandon Johns brings to the spot. That's a that's a game as much as we have admired and praised the the emergence of of Austin Davis on this team. Uh, you know that's one of those games where I think his his minutes will will probably be a bit down. Uh, and and you, you consider for a moment, you look back at the last game. He played just nine minutes in that contest, Tim, and that was with. That was with a you know a game where you had to start Brandon John or they decided to start Brandon Johns and you still only played Austin Davis nine minutes in that contest so I think that's a matchup driven thing and I think we are going to see Brandon Johns in center at, at center in that game. 
Yeah, I um, I think that would be a good call. And then then also, look, Greg Gard deserves to be the Big Ten Coach of the Year. I agree. For 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 what he's done to to get the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament, but teams do not play at the level that they've played, the the way that they've shot the ball for extended periods of time that go, you know, five, six weeks. And and that's what they've done. I I just think that with the success that they've had winning eight straight, getting ready for the Big Ten tournament, Michigan's going to have a game under their belt. That is a massive advantage. It's a mental advantage. You, You know, you sit in the locker room. You take meaningful shots. You've gone through your warm-ups. You've been in your hotel for a few days. You get a win, and you you feel good about yourself. That is so much easier than Wisconsin that will have some pregame jitters, and they've been walking around campus. Everybody's been patting them on the back, telling them how wonderful they are. You're the best team in the Big Ten. Go out there and win a tournament title. and You can't help but take a deep breath and relax a little bit. So everything sets up really well for Michigan to win two games against Rutgers and Wisconsin. All right, so let's let's talk how deep how deep do you have Michigan going? Let's look big picture at the uh, you know at the tournament field. That bottom half of the bracket, I agree with you wholeheartedly, uh, is is very very tough. Is the toughest side. Uh, you, you look at Michigan State, uh, and they are the team. I mean, Wisconsin give them a lot of credit, but I think Michigan State is the team playing the best. Are the best basketball right now. I, I think that's right, and and they just they, I think they'll get Ohio State, and I think that that they just match up really well with Ohio State. Um, I I I see a path in which Michigan State will get to the championship game. Uh, they've they've got two all league players, and their young guys have have figured things out. Um, now 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 it's quite possible that with the emergence of Hall and Rocket Watts that that you know, they're still young, and this is their first time playing a prominent role in the Big Ten tournament. It's different basketball, um, just just different environment. And, you know, you, you don't have crazy crowds that, that are really impacting the game. So I, I, I think that um, I, while I think Michigan State is is going to, to get to the championship game, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they have one of those clunkers that, that come with high turnovers, and that's probably their Achilles heel. Um, but if I had to pick somebody at the bottom of that bracket, I would pick Michigan State. All right, so you got Michigan so far to the semis. A very interesting matchup, I think, because I think Iowa will win their game. I think Iowa will win their game on Thursday and have another matchup with Illinois, and that has been an amazingly chippy matchup this year. I mean, you had coaches getting into it a couple of games ago. They – you know, players getting into it again uh, in this last game that they just played, uh, and now they're going to play for even higher stakes uh, coming up likely on Friday. I'm curious how you see that game playing out with uh, with a player who's in the running for National Player of the Year. Who would have thought that with Luca Garza, who's who's had a tremendous, tremendous se- uh, season, but facing some re- really formidable post defense from Kofi Coburn and the uh, the Illini on the other side. So as I as I looked at the bracket as it set up and I evaluated every potential game, the one that excited me the most is Iowa against Illinois. I think that that has so much intrigue. I I think that Kofi Coburn going head to head against Luca Garza I, I, I'm sure they're going to say, look, Luca, you're a really good shooter. You're the best player in the Big Ten this year. Go ahead and shoot all the threes you want, but we're not going to let you bully us in the low post. Mm-hmm. That matchup is going to be a great one. I, I really think that, um, you know, for, for the longest time, I thought Iowa is going to be a surprise and win the Big Ten tournament. They have faded late, and I do like the fact that Illinois is a really good road team. They have six road wins this year, so so I think Illinois wins that game. All right, and so then Michigan matching up with Illinois uh, in that in that semifinal round. What about that game, Tim? Is you know the Illini obviously very very tough against Michigan this year. Yeah, I think Illinois wins that game, and and that's where you start to get to the point where uh, fatigue plays a factor, and by Michigan playing in the eight nine game, 
Um, I think it's hard to play three games in three days. If you get to that championship game, it's a little bit different because you can you can definitely see that that the end is coming and you've got the motivation and, and the the emotion that can carry you. But but I think that the third game in, in three days is when Michigan will be really hurt with their perimeter shooting and tired legs. So I would give Illinois an advantage in that game. Yeah, they just, uh, you know, that, that second matchup, they did a better job against Coburn, but they could not. I mean, that Io DeSumo just was a monster that game. And who can forget the, the game winner that he hit to, uh, you know, to send them home with the victory. So it would be it would be a fun game, an intriguing game. Uh, you know, you, you wonder if, if they could keep Coburn at bay again. Uh, and, and this time around, could you get – could you get a plus performance from Isaiah Livers? To me, Isaiah Livers is the X factor for for Michigan. If Isaiah Livers can return to form on the offensive end of the floor, I think they'll make it to the championship round. Unfortunately, Tim, that's just a huge if. There's there's no way to to say, yeah, we know that's going to happen. We just got to hope it will. Well, it's 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 based on foul trouble too. Michigan doesn't have perimeter depth, and they've got plenty of depth in the front line. But but you've got to have the Julius Brooks and Simpson on the court um, as much as you possibly can. So the, those three guys have to stay out of foul trouble. And then I'll be anxious to see Franz Wagner again. Mm-hmm. You know his his um his playmaking, his perimeter shooting is getting better. He's gaining confidence. I love his rebounding, and and he's going to get better and better. There there's a very good chance that 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 next year. Uh, that that he he's going to be recognized as an All Big Ten player. All right, so you got Illinois uh, proceeding, progressing to the championship game. Uh, I, I'm betting you have Michigan State winning the whole thing. I've got Illinois winning it. Really? I think yeah, I do. I think Illinois is going to win the Big Ten tournament this year. Um, I I I I like their support guards, their support guys. I like their guards, and they've got big guys. And when you get into a, a Big Ten tournament. You need some guys that just because of their sheer athletic ability, size, and talent can just get you a bucket. And 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 so I I think that they are hard to cover. I know it's a little bit of a stretch, but I think that Illinois, as the four seed, is going to win the Big Ten tournament. Gotcha. Uh, we shall see. Definitely going to want to exercise a bit of revenge. When Illinois went to Michigan State earlier this year, they got trounced by 20. And so we'll see if they can if they can turn it around. Uh, it was a closer game in Champaign. Uh, Michigan State only won that one by 11. So can can the Illini uh, and Kofi Coburn, uh, you know, do a better job this time around? Iowa DeSumo was going to get his. I just wonder if Coburn against the Defensive Player of the Year uh, in 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 Xavier Tillman, if he'll be able to get it done in the in the championship game setting. Uh, you know, coming up this weekend. Time will tell, Tim, but always an absolute blast. When we reconvene, we will be talking NCAA tournament and and where Michigan is. We will know by the next time we sit down, man, so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, enjoy it, Sam, and go blue. Um, It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, thanks for listening to the Michigan Basketball Insider.